source of true delight, my unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. People of God said, Amen. You'll uh, a great hymn to take home and meditate on. It so beautifully expresses so many things. I love that last line. I love all the lines. I, not to forsake the happy road that leads to thy right hand. Take it from Psalm 16, verse 11, uh, where it says, There are pleasures at your right hand forever. And so much of the Christian life is believing in that goodness. Believing in the goodness of God in the midst of difficulty. Believing that trusting Him leads to that glorious place at his right hand where there are pleasures forever. Sometimes that is very difficult for faith to hold on to. Uh, Hopefully what we're talking about this morning will uh, help you get hold of that uh, more. I'd like for you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's the blue uh, book in front of you, it's on page 976 if you don't know where Ephesians is. If you brought your own Bible and don't know where Ephesians is, I'm sorry. I can't help you. (laughs) Just have to look it up. (laughs) Now, um, I want to begin before we read with uh, prayer. And I want us to remember uh, Cox family, uh, Jason's mother, and, and of course, um, Derek. But uh, Janice is, uh, has been admitted to hospice care. She's been there for the past few days. and It's a matter of days or possibly a week. They're not sure. But um, she's in the main unconscious or asleep, sometimes opens her eyes. And so just pray for them in this regard that um, she would know his peace, that they would know his peace. They're certainly confessing his goodness in the midst of it, a wonderful testimony of Christ. But, uh, do pray for, let's, let's do pray for them. Uh, otherwise, Jason probably would have helped uh, out with the piano. Not that uh, we didn't do a great job. It was wonderful. I appreciate all the musicians and how well they did today. Thank you for your leadership. Uh, let's pray. Oh, Lord, we uh, remember our, our brother Derek and remember... Coxes and the extended family, Joel and Jennifer, uh, Jason's brother and sister. Lord, we pray that you would cause them to trust you, to lay hold of you, to be comforted by you. We pray that the cross and the resurrection will loom large in their hearts. Lord, that you will overrule your presence. And, and mitigate the grief, Lord. We know it. there will, will be grief, but that they will, by your grace, 
in Paul's words, not grieve as the world grieves. Looking to the glorious truth that we actually can join with Paul and mock death. Death, where is thy sting? Where is thy victory? Because death has been vanquished through the resurrection of Jesus. The first fruits has risen, and therefore the rest of the harvest must rise as well. Where the head goes, the body will un- undoubtedly follow. And we thank you, Lord, that though death will separate us from our body, even then we are present with the Lord. We are in his presence, spirits made righteous, glorifying your great name and awaiting that final day when Jesus Christ will be vindicated, when the resurrection will occur and the new heavens and the new earth ushered in forever. Lord, may these things, may the precious love of God in Christ sustain and nourish this family. And we pray for whatever moments of awareness that Janice has herself, Lord, that you would bless her and comfort her. And may she know your presence, Lord. We thank you that she has so boldly confessed her faith in Christ her lack of fear in facing death, her desire to be with Christ. We praise you, Lord, for your spirit sustaining her in these ways. Lord, may we all be able to walk in her footsteps in that regard. Lord, glorify your name in the midst of the great, great sadnesses of this world. Oh, Lord, glorify your name and cause us to look to your salvation. Lord, these things we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, a few things in introducing this. uh, This passage begins with, Blessed be the God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, this whole section really is praise. It's called many times a doxological theology, right? Uh, doxology being praise. So that Paul's not just dryly enumerating the things that God has done, right? Let me, let me go over this, sit tight, number one, number two, number three. You know, it's not that at all. It's a praise. His heart is engaged here as he's lifting up the glory of God as this cavalcade, this flood of beauties of God's salvation just breaks in upon us in this passage. And so we need to catch the flavor of that and realize uh, what he's doing here. And what I want to do this morning is just to enumerate with you some of the things that Paul talks about. I'd like, if we have some time, to flip back to Romans 8 and do a similar thing. But it's to the end that we would constantly practice Praising him specifically for all the things he's done for us in salvation. I think probably for most of us, we tend to be narrow. If, if, if I was to ask any of you to say, all right, I want you to sit alone with God and praise him for five minutes for his salvation, for everything he's done for you in Christ. Sometimes you might think, damn, after a minute I was done. I didn't know of anything else to praise him for. Well, hopefully as we work through this passage and others like it, that you can get in the practice, the regular 
uh, habit of taking these portions of Scripture, much like Psalm 103, the way we began this uh, service. You see, he says, let everything within me bless his holy name. Don't forget his benefits, who forgives your iniquity, heals your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with steadfast love, satisfies your good. You see, that's what he's doing. He's just listing them right out. He's saying, let everything within me praise his name. And, and here's a start, you know, of the great things that God does for us. So Ephesians 1, here Paul is doing the same thing as uh, Psalm 103. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's a summary statement. Who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now he begins to unload, unpack that. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Thus the reading of his word. So Paul begins here with this categorical comprehensive statement, doesn't he? who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that already makes you think there must be a lot of things that God has done for me, a lot of things that God has poured out for his people to be enumerated. And so he, in thinking about this panoply of blessing, he launches from the first to the last. He begins with God's election and predestination, and then he ends, doesn't he, with the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. So you can see the passage starts from the beginning or before the beginning, you know, before the foundation of the world, as he says. It's like go all the way back and then look over the fence at what was before uh, the beginning of time. And then he looks to the absolute future to see that we have an inheritance. And he even roots that in verse 11 with having predestined. So the plan of God encompassed this, that we would be in the end holy and blameless before him in that final day, he predestined and set into motion that we ultimately would have this final inheritance. And so it's planned from the beginning. 
that we're going to stand in fellowship before him. It's planned from the beginning that we will have an everlasting inheritance. Now, that's the beginning of your praise, okay? And you and I need to ask the question, when's the last time I thanked God for these kinds of things? Thank you, O Lord, that you chose me before the foundation of the world. Thank you, Lord, that in choosing me, you've made it certain that in all of my weakness and failure and sin, the redemption of Christ, your election means I will one day stand holy and blameless before you. Oh, Lord, I praise you for such power, for such commitment, for such faithfulness that you will bring this about to stand me before you holy and blameless. And thank you, Lord, that my inheritance is so sure it's been predestined. It's planned. It can't be turned away. Nothing can stand against your plan. It is for certain that I have this inheritance. So there's a beginning, you see, of using this passage. And I'm hoping to help you take passage after passage after passage and begin to work through them in your praises to God to take the actual statements that Scripture has about what God's done to you and turn uh, for you and to turn it back into praise. Because that's really what Paul's doing here, right? So we, we move on. Thank you, Lord, verse 5, that you predestined me, and Lord, that the reason you predestined me, those first two words in verse 5, or maybe in our text they precede the number 5, but they're really part of the verse, in love, you predestined me. In love. It's like Paul in Romans 8 says that he foreknew us. He set his love upon us. Like the word know, of course, a man knows a woman. He's intimate with her. And that idea of God knows his people. It's not that he knows about them because he knows every single fact about every single thing in the universe, believer or unbeliever. But to know his people means he's intimate with his people. And so Paul says it there in Romans 8, he foreknew us. He knew us intimately before we were even born. And then he says right here, it was in love that he predestined us. It wasn't haphazard. We don't, we can't say, why did you set your love upon me? Why would you not allow me to say no to you? And I would have said no to you. I would have refused you, but you wouldn't. See to it, you had so revealed your beauty and glory in Christ Jesus, so to woo me and draw me to yourself that I saw your beauty and gave myself to you. Lord, thank you. Thank you that in love you predestined me to be adopted. Because if you hadn't, Lord, I wouldn't have. Thank you. There, another aspect of his glory for which we can praise him. And, of course, to think about adoption as sons and the privilege of sonship, the intimacy of sonship. That ties in, doesn't it, with the inheritance. We have an inheritance because we're really children. We're children of the king, children of this father. He will give us everything. He's rich and free in his gifts to his people. And so, again, he predestined according to the purpose of his will. Now, here we run into the first of these kinds of phrases, to the praise of his glorious grace there in verse 6. And this shows that the whole action of God 
in electing and drawing us to himself and granting us an inheritance and further to grant us forgiveness, etc. All of these things are for the final end that he would be praised. So the great purpose and point of his action toward us is the echo of that redemption in our praises to him. That's the consummate end, the glorious final taste and richness in our lives of what he's done for us is that we're lost in glad, happy praise and thanksgiving. And if that short change, if that, if the nerve of that is cut, then the whole point of his salvation is lost that he received praise from his people. And it's not just that he get that honor, it's that he wants to bring about that happiness in the lives of his people. You see? It's what he wants to do for you. And this is the point. Redemption is, yes, it's salvation, it's rescue in Christ, but it's bringing you to a point of happy praise to God and living that out in your life. That's being redeemed so that we're not simply focused on this world. We're not simply uh, controlled by the events of this world. We're basically fundamentally controlled by our praise to God. Then we've really been delivered out of death into life. Because we've been delivered from those who don't praise God to those that do praise God. That is salvation. To the praise of the glory of his grace, or as it has in the SV, his glorious grace. Then in him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And it's in keeping with what the riches of his grace. You see, it's like we're redeemed, we have forgiveness. Redemption speaks of our being released from bondage of sin, released from death, released from the power of our enemy, Satan, of which he speaks later in chapter 2. And forgiveness of sins, of course, means that there is nothing to be held against us. There is no condemnation, as Paul says, that we have intimate fellowship with God and God can smile upon us because he sees us as united to Jesus Christ, associated with Christ's perfection, and that Christ's death and, and punishment for us is associated with us so that our sins have been atoned for. Your personal sins have been atoned for. It's done. They can never be brought against you. You will never be accused by God. You, you will never be damned and condemned for those sins because they've been atoned for. Jesus has suffered for them. He has taken it away. You see, those are the kind of things to praise him for. Of course, Lord, thank you that you've redeemed me. You've released me. I'm no longer a victim of sin. I'm no longer in bondage to Satan, in bondage to my own habits. You've redeemed me. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not under sin and not the guilt of sin has been removed from me. Thank you, Lord, that there's nothing that stands in the way between you and me that I have the forgiveness of sins. And Lord, thank you that this is because the grace that you have toward me is just overflowing and abundant. Lord, what does it mean 
as you're praying to him. What does it mean, O Lord, that you have riches and riches and riches of grace toward me? Thank you, Lord, that this is your stance toward me. Thank you. That is not just that you have a little grace toward me, but, Lord, you have unlimited grace toward me. Praise your name that you have such grace, O Lord. Well, you get the picture uh, of how we can take what is said here and turn it back in praise to God. I want you to back up, and if whether you have your own Bible or not, I would urge you to look with us on page 944 at this passage in Romans 8, just to touch upon it. Beginning with verse 28, going to the end of the chapter. Just to suggest, here's another passage to use in this way. And you might keep your finger at Ephesians because I want to turn back there in a second. But but here in verse 28, the well-known, all things work together for good to those who love God and call according to his purpose. And as you see the extended context especially verses uh, 35 and following, you see that this doesn't mean protection against tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. It doesn't mean protection against any of that. But it does mean that everything will work together for my becoming more like Christ, showing more of his glory, being drawn nearer to him, trusting him more, manifesting him more in my life. That rich goodness of knowing God and making him known and being like God, every single thing will work together for that. And so regularly we thank him, Lord, thank you that this thing in my life that is the last thing in the world that I would have wanted to happen to me, that it has a place in your providence. And it's a good place because you turn this terrible thing, this absolute monkey wrench or sometimes it just seems like it's absolute devastating thing that you Lord it is a devastating that you Lord will take this and use it for my good that it cannot do anything but good to me as I trust you and and you couple that with verse 32 he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not with him graciously give us all things And there's a way that you can say in any circumstance, no matter what the circumstance, this is part of the all things that you are giving me. And it's guaranteed that you will give me these all all these things because you've given me your son. Therefore, you obviously will not withhold anything from me. It's not there's never anything God's holding. He's always giving us everything good. In the midst of whatever our circumstances, if we trust him, we will receive and know and grow in the midst of it. And that's why he can say in verse 31, there's nothing that can be against us. Nothing. No one, nothing can be against us because the almighty sovereign God is for us. So thank him. Thank you, Lord, thank you that nothing can ultimately be against me. Thank you, Lord, that this terrible thing that's happened cannot ruin me. It can only by your hand be made to uh, to serve your ends to make me more like Christ. Thank you, Lord, that I'm untouchable in that sense. 
In the sense that nothing can come to me except that it has come from your hand to bring good to me. And of course, he goes on. And these are things to praise him for. No one can condemn me, verse 34. No one can bring a charge. Thank you, Lord, that there is no one who can bring a charge to me. Verse 33. Thank you, Lord, you, the sovereign king, you're the one that justifies me. So there's no other voice in heaven to be heard from. There's no accusing voice of Satan. There's no accusing voice anywhere because you've silenced every voice. You say that I'm justified, Lord. Thank you. Nobody can say anything against it. And then, of course, you thank him for Jesus, who's at the right hand of God, interceding. And Lord, thank you that nothing will separate me from the love of God. Well, we could take huge uh, sections of Ephesians later in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. On and on it goes. And, And passage after passage in Scripture that explores the salvation that Christ has brought about for us. Now... What will this do for us? Let me touch on this in closing. Several things. One thing that this will help you do, if you will take Ephesians 1 or Ephesians 2 or Ephesians 3, Romans 8, these great sections, I would begin with the epistles of Paul, these great sections that lay out the salvation of God for us. First, they help us just to notice these things that God has done for us. They help us to discover and recognize them, to get a fix on them, to to get a bead on them. If you start praising him phrase by phrase, you'll notice so much that you've never noticed before. You'll notice way more than just reading through it. If you actually say, how do I turn this phrase into a praise? How do I turn this little section into praise? You'll notice what it's saying in a way you never have, perhaps, or in a greater way than you have. So that's kind of like observing all the food that's on the table to start with, okay? Just finding the food, you know, seeing what's in the pantry, seeing what's been cooked for, seeing what all, all that's available for you. Secondly, then it helps you to explore and consider and ponder these things. As you consider how to praise him, your mind begins to move on different aspects of what this salvation means, And it helps you meditate to turn it over in your mind, to pour over it. So this is, I would say, in the analogy, you begin to really feast on the food, begin really tasting all of it, seeing how good it is, sitting there and just enjoying that meal. Then thirdly, it means that in praising him in this way, you get emotionally engaged. And we need this As whole people, we need to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. We need to love him with our emotions engaged so that we are in awe of him. Not just saying that word, but maybe at times we're trembling. Maybe at times we're crying. Maybe at times we just kind of burst out laughing in amazement at what he's done for us. We get engaged. We get in gear emotionally over God. We experience His glory as we praise Him. This is a savoring of the food, you see. It is not only grasping it, but being grasped by the truth of God. Being moved and governed 
and colored and changed and chiseled by it. So you notice it, you explore it, you uh, savor it, you finally you live it out. And here's, of course, the strength of what it does for your life. Isn't it interesting how Paul gets to the most practical things in Ephesians about husbands loving their wives and wives their husbands and parents their children and children obeying their uh, parents and masters and servants and uh, lying and stealing and being bitter and all of these things. He, he deals with the most practical issues. But where does he begin? How does he get us toward that? What does he think is the most important way to begin talking about these practical things? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he begins with praise. It's three chapters basically of praise, of talking about the riches of salvation. And so when he gets to chapter 4 and he says, what worthy of the calling with which you've been called, that phrase is really taking in all of the first three chapters. In a way, it's like saying, uh, walk uh, uh, in keeping with all the blessings in the spiritual, uh, in the the, uh, heavenlies that you have. So there's this connection, this uh, union with praise and living that out. And take away the praise of chapter 1, there will be no obedience in chapter 4 and following. There won't be. There won't be any reason to. Because the only reason we obey him and give ourselves to him is we're thrilled over him. You understand that? That's, that's why we would ever obey Him. That's why we would suffer for Him. That's why we would sacrifice everything we want to love this person that you live with at times, you feel like. Because you're thrilled over Jesus. You're thrilled over Jesus. And then you become actually thrilled to lay down your life and love others more and more. Psalm 22.3 says that God dwells in the praises of his people or is enthroned in the praises of his people. Or in Isaiah 57.15 that he dwells with the humble. Well, it's not the prideful. It's not those focused on themselves either in a prideful way or a negative way. That is, I'm the center of things in a way to think I'm better than other people or I'm the center of things. Why has all this stuff happened to me? Either way, God is not the focus of your life. And you become one who's dedicated to pride and not humility. God dwells with, he dwells with and manifests himself to those who are broken, who recognize his beauty and are feasting on his beauty. He manifests himself in this way. And then as well, it is it, it enables you to believe these things. As you praise him for all of these things in Ephesians or Romans or Philippians, you begin to believe that they're true. (laughs) There's a link between praise and faith and between faith and praise. So that praise begets trust. It begets rest. It begets confidence in what God will do for you. It begets an expectation that God will indeed always be doing good for you. So that when you are in the midst of disappointment or downturn or, or a conflict with another person, whatever it is, he more and more has crowded into that center place where the first questions come in of, how might I please you, Lord? How might I know you? How might I taste your goodness? How might I believe you? How might I manifest you? 
That's what praise does for you. It reorients your life. It helps you and me see things for what they are. And not to push God to the perimeter of our lives. It defends you against despair. And that's when we need defense against despair. And despair shows itself in so many ways, in anger and frustration and sullenness and refusal to communicate, all kind of uh, addictive behaviors. All of these things are centered around despair. Praise militates against despair. I came across this uh, great quote, actually, in uh, John Sweet's commentary on Revelation. So I was preparing for Sunday school and found this for preaching. So this is a freebie, right? (laughs) But uh, he quotes Ignatius in his letter to the Ephesians. Ignatius, you know, very early uh, saint, writing to the Ephesians. And, And this is just marvelous. He says, Meet more often to give thanks and glory to God. For when you meet frequently... Satan's powers are thrown down and his destructiveness is nullified in the harmony of your faith. Satan's powers are thrown down. I saw another quote from another commentary talking about the seven heads of the beast. And it was a Jewish rabbi who made kind of a comic statement. But he says, every time we pray with faith, Another head falls down of the seven-headed beast. I love that image, you know, the heads of the beast just falling, falling off. Why? Because God's people are praising him. That defeats him. Because his whole point is what? That you ignore God. That you not love him. That you not adore him. That you not be amazed at him. Then he's accomplished everything he wants. That was Romans 1, right? The root of all our sin is that we didn't thank him or honor him as God. Oh, may God bring about in our hearts the wonderful relief and refreshment and renewal. And it's hard. It's hard, hard work. It takes discipline. (laughs) It's hard to turn off everything. It's hard to make the time for it. It's strange. As I've said before, it's like, make time to eat the bluebell ice cream. You know, like, I can't stop eating it. It should be that way, right? And praise should be that glorious. that We just can't wait to get back to it because it's so wonderful for us. But now we're dealing with our sin. Now we're dealing with the most critical, uh, hardwired part of us that now has been unwired by the Spirit of God. But we tend to fall into our habits. We tend to be like a rubber band that snaps back to what we used to be. But God has made us into people who can walk more and more into the glory of praise. And if you don't know Christ, if you don't know Christ and haven't been admitted into the presence and fellowship of this God through this incredible sacrifice of the Son of God, then obviously... You haven't taken the first step into praising him. The the first step of recognizing the, the unlimited glory of a God who would come in the flesh and bear our punishment. 
What kind of God could this be? What would it be like for that God to have hold of my life if he would lose himself for me? What other way is there to live but in fellowship with this glorious God? Well, let us pray. Oh, Lord, I say these things, and yet you know how far I fall, Lord, from praising you as I ought, and and how far I fall from my praise entering into the whole of my life and governing my relationships and my the way I treat people and the way I deal with my daily life. It shows my own unbelief, my own refusal to praise you, Lord. Indeed, we can do nothing good apart from you. We, we can't even praise you, which is our joy, which is our own refreshment. It's our strength. It's, it's our renewal, the renewal of our humanity. And yet we, res, we refuse it by nature. Oh, Lord, take hold of us. Draw us after yourself. Draw us after your word. Draw us into these rich places in your word that just gush forth with the richness of your salvation. And really, in one sense, there's not a line in this Bible that doesn't in some way point to your greatness, Lord. Enable us to use your word and to praise it back to you, Lord, to rejoice and, and thank you. And Lord, to see our lives more and more be transformed. Bless us, bless us for your namesake. And for our good, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break rain. Shades of night and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?